You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. What's life like working as a professional in horticulture media? In this episode, you'll hear from two horticulturists who've both taken very different journeys to become hort media professionals. Myself and friend of the show, Scott Smith, who's head gardener and a presenter for BBC's Beech Grove Garden in Scotland. What are some universal things that you can do right now so that in a few years you can get off the tools and be paid to stand in front of a camera, a microphone or a keyboard? What's the difference between working with a proper production crew versus working by yourself? And why does Scott keep referring to himself as a hero? Listen to the end of this episode to find out. So welcome back to the show, Scott. Hello, it's excellent to be back again, Dan. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm going great, mate. So look, today we're going to be talking about horticulture media, and it's one of those pathways I think a lot of people, you know, we glamorize it, you know, it seems like such a cool, dreamy pathway. Is is this like something that is for everybody? Is it something that some people are meant for and some people wouldn't get a whole lot out of? Is it as glamorous as it seems? I mean, we're going to be talking about all of that, but can you tell me for starters about your job at Beech Grove? So I am fundamentally the head gardener at Beech Grove. So my job, I'm there full time. And my job, of course, is to look after the garden itself and Moreover, it's quite an interesting role because really my job is to help make the television program that is Beach Grove. And in order to do that, it means liaising with all the presenters and having team meetings to discuss what's going to be shown on camera, what we're going to film and what's going to take place over the season. And it's broken down by episode. So I'll have to find out what presenters do in which episode, what they're intending on doing. And that then allows me to facilitate that. So I'll have to figure out what equipment they'll need, what tools they'll need, what plants or bulbs or seeds or any of that kind of stuff. Um, And then what I have to do really is be organized and to make the schedule so that I have everything done in a timely manner. And basically we film every Tuesday, we film an episode of Beach Grow for 26 weeks. So literally half the year it's filming nonstop Every Tuesday, 26 weeks back to back, we will film. So I kind of go on to the episode planner in advance. I have a look and see what we're due to be filming. I'll make sure everything's set up for that week so that when all the crew shows up on a Tuesday, you know, we've got the sound guys, camera guys, director, assistant director, runners, um, myself, presenters. So my job is to have everything good to go so that it's super smooth. We show up on Tuesday morning, have a walkabout, think about where we're going to film everything and what sort of time of day we'll film it because all the the light makes a big difference and exposure and all that kind of things. And essentially I am the one that makes sure everything's prepped, ready to rock and the presenter can come in, do their thing and everybody gets on with their job nice and slick and easy. A good day we can come in at eight and be finished by say four o'clock on some of the longer shoots, it can go right on till about seven o'clock at night, just depending on how much is being filmed, because the amount filmed in the garden also varies from time to time, depending on the, the pieces. Um, 
So I would say that my job is very, very interesting at the moment because what I have to do is not only look after the garden, but facilitate a making of a TV program. And really, the garden, it's treated like a green studio more than a typical public garden. So when I worked in public gardens, there was pressure on you to have every morsel of it looking fantastic all the time. Whereas Beach Grove, we aren't open to the public. We are a studio, really. You know, we're just a fancy lot, <laughs> like a fancy Hollywood lot, really. Um, and what I do is, as long as everything looks good for that Tuesday shoot and the areas that we're filming in in particular look very good, that's all that that's all I'm worried about, really. And there could be other areas that are maybe looking a little bit messy or weedy, but nobody's seeing it, so it doesn't matter. So as long as I get the bits done that needs done for for the shooting on the tuesday purposes then that's it and what i do is when i've done everything i can possibly do so say a wednesday i I make sure everything's sorted out and tidied up after the filming and then the rest of the wednesday thursday friday what we're doing really is taking care of the rest of the gardens needs as if it's a real garden because my free time my spare time is is keeping the garden in good shape as much as possible because, of course, that means in a few weeks' mm. time, if we do decide to film in another area, you don't want that one to be a total tip where you have to go and spend ages making it look good. So if you manage to get round and keep everything in a general good state and just make sure that the bits we're filming in looks particularly good, that's basically my job. Um, uh, that's my job as a head gardener. And then, of course, I'm also doing some presenting as well, which is a very different ballgame. So, look, in Australia, we don't get a whole lot of BBC stuff. So at least uh, I know that you can access it online. But I think probably a lot of the Aussie listeners aren't familiar with Beach Grove. But it's a very different kind of a vibe for the BBC, isn't it? So it's not like BBC Gardener's World. It's a different vibe, right? Yeah, so... Beach Grove Garden, I think you, you can get it now on a thing called BritBox, which is available in Europe and America. I'm not sure about over there. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, but you'll find it on BritBox as a streaming service. And no, it's it's a more grounded, down-to-earth program than, say, Gardener's World. Gardener's World is a little bit what I would call sort of a leisure or lifestyle program where it's quite dreamy. They'll visit these really lovely, fancy public gardens. It's got great camera work. It's probably got some of the better known British garden celebrities like Monty Dawn and Francis Tophill and and Alan Titchmarsh and these kind of things. But what Beach Grove does is we're up in the northeast of Scotland where growing conditions are harder. We have colder weather. We have a shorter season and things like that. And our unique selling point really for Beach Grove is that we're a bit more hands-on, a bit more practical. We'll we'll show you real gardening. We'll say this week we're going to be planting our tatty crop. So that's potatoes. Yeah. Planting our potato crop and um, we'll be sowing beetroot and this is how you do it. And we'll show people exactly how it's done or I'm wanting to propagate this black currant. So here we go. I'm going to take it. And it's a bit more instructive, a bit more down to earth, a bit more practical um perhaps a little bit less gr- glamorous but it's a lot of people like that side of it it's more real gardening if you like mm. yeah i like that too so as a horticulturist myself yeah it's fine to watch the really fancy stuff and of course that's great but really i think i'm more interested in like the nitty gritty real stuff and i think that's just my own journey but i think it's also cool that it's 
like they actually put the head gardener on the on the TV. So I think in Australia we have this show back in the day. It um, I won't even mention the show, but it used to be like you do a backyard spritz, let's say, and there was this. You know, everyone knew someone who had been filmed near. And then you'd hear stories of this person who would just turn up on the camera and then leave and a bunch of other people would do the work. And it sort of broke the spell because growing up, you'd think that this particular celebrity was the one who was actually doing the work. And then you realize, no, that's actually just Hollywood. He would just come in because he's good at talking and then people do the real work. And then, you know, you sort of learn that the gardens all fall apart in a few weeks and it's not, not real. It's all just Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, that, of course, I could understand if, if I was watching and found that out, you know, it would, as you say, dispel the myth somewhat, and you'd be like, oh, that's rubbish. But from actually, from from the side of my view now, having presented some programs, it can actually understand it a little bit better, because quite simply, if you think about how much money it costs to hire two cameramen, a director, a sound guy, have runners, have lighting up, um, you'll have an editor, you'll have people running about doing all sorts of things. You know, it's a lot of money. And of course, what you're wanting to do really is to make a program to get it out there and get as much content as you can from it in as little time as possible, really. So if you were to have your presenter or celebrity or whatever come in and actually do the real work, then I suppose what you're really doing is you'd have to film them all day. And then that takes up a lot of film. Mm-hmm. That means the editor's got a huge process to try and cut it down. And most of these things are also on quite strict time constraints. I mean, I know certainly for Beach Grove, every program is 28 minutes long and we'll typically have some some inserts from uh, a real person's garden round and about. So it could be anywhere up and down the country. Someone will maybe have like a great little tropical garden or someone's got a great alpine garden. And, you know, one of the garden camera crew go out and film them for a few hours and get maybe five minutes of footage out of it. And that Mm. goes in the show. And when it comes to a Tuesday to filming, we'll know roughly what we've got. And then the last thing we get told really is the timings, how long we have. So, for example... Just two weeks ago, I was filming, presenting an episode, and uh, I said I want to do something on cutting a hedge or how to cut deciduous hedges because it's it's this time of year that we do it here in the UK. And, you know, I get told, right, okay, you've got four minutes. So that's me. I have to then get everything I want to say into that four minutes, um, which can be harder than you think because I tend to be a little bit of a waffle or I could give you eight minutes, no bother, but to try and make it slick and concise and timely, you have to be able to really relay that information in a short, sharp, but interesting way. Um, And that's kind of a bit of a, one of the skills of presenting, I think that people maybe don't understand or don't see is that you have to have the information. You have to be able to make it snappy. You have to make it so that people can understand it, but maybe not too basic, but also not too complicated. (laughs) Mm. um it's it's quite a niche sort of set of skills to have really and you know like you say if if you have the real celebrity going in and doing an entire day's work in a garden and they would probably have to film all that and it probably wouldn't seem that interesting to watch if you know what i mean so i I do Mm. get it from that side of things but you know it is amazing how people have this perception of well there's presenters in a show so they must 
live there and eat there and breathe there and work at the garden all day long. And you're like, no, nah, not really. They have their ideas. They pop in, they do their piece, and then they go home because that is ultimately what they're paid to do, I suppose. <laughs> well, that's right. So I guess that's what we're talking about today is that like the media side of the career. You're kind of like you've got two feet or one foot in either camp. So you're doing the work, but you're also doing the presenting. So like, why did they choose you? How, how did you get this job? Don't know, Dan. I keep asking myself that as well. Um, <laughs> so do the listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who's this guy? <laughs> no, you've been very popular. From what I've seen, you've gotten some really good feedback, like on YouTube comments and just from letters that people write in and emails and stuff. Like, it's really cool. And so you, you've also got a foot in the new media and the old media too. So you've got this sort of like LinkedIn plus you've got TV. So You've, you've really got all these fingers in all these different pies. Yeah, so it's certainly, as you say, there's a bit of new and a bit of old. And I would say I would class the new as podcasting like we are right now and social media platforms like LinkedIn, for example, and the old media such as television and newspapers because I write a weekly garden column in one of the newspapers over here. Um mm. So it is interesting because all all mediums offer different advantages and disadvantages. And I'm actually doing, uh, I think we've mentioned it before when I've been on Weedan, I'm doing my master's in horticulture through the RHS and I'm into my final year now and it's the dissertation year. And that's actually what I'm, I'm looking into for my dissertation is sort of the effectiveness of different media platforms to the general consumer of horticultural content. So I'm intending on looking at, um, you know, what what, we, what people like from different key demographics, really. So, you know, you might find that younger people prefer podcasts and older people prefer the newspaper or that kind of thing. And that's, I've only just started, but this is what I'm, I'm looking into for this year because I found it quite an interesting, an interesting area to look at. Do you think that that was part of why they chose you? Just the fact that you've got like all this experience in terms of like writing, um, LinkedIn, social media, podcasts. Plus you've also been a head gardener at some pretty serious gardens as well. Like you just, you know, you've just proven yourself that you're a go-getter. Is that part of it? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, what really played to a big advantage to me was when the job came up, it was only about a month, month and a half after I happened to just appear on Beach Grove anyway. And that was because um, my last job when I was a head gardener at the National Trust for Scotland, we I was running two gardens. I was running Pitmeden Garden and Haddo House. And Pitmeden Garden had a big £100,000 makeover project, which I, I did. I project managed that. And because that was just done, Beach Grove came and filmed it. And unknown to me, uh, there wasn't a team or presenters or anything. Literally just one camera guy popped over and was pretty much like, right, on your rock, Scott, talk about the history, talk about maybe some stuff that's going on here, talk about some of the plants and talk about the projects. And I was like, oh, so I really was just truly thrown into the deep end. And we filmed for maybe six hours and, you know, got about, a good five minutes worth of footage out of it and it seemed to go quite well and that almost was my pre-interview interview if you mm-hmm. like I'd yeah. already kind of done a bit of that so they seen I had some sort of you know pedigree for presenting in some form um and then of course 
I was also a head gardener who could do the head gardenery bit, <laughs> which is also very important too. Um, and just during the interview, they said, would you be comfortable if we needed to use you on camera? And I said, yeah, sure. It wasn't my intention. I didn't think I'm going to take this job so I can be a presenter. It was just, mm. uh, yeah, if you need me, just give me a shout. I'm happy to do it. And it started off with just, you know, a little piece here, a little piece there. Oh, we've got two minutes. Do you want to maybe think of something and, and make it interesting? And then they seemed to go quite well. And then next thing it was like, well, we're going to give you a full episode to present. Uh, and I was like, great, cool. And then, yeah, you know, and that's me first season here. And I've done, done a fair bit, really. I've, I've presented five episodes and I've been doing, you know, little pieces or bits and bobs or strands throughout various episodes, even if I wasn't a full presenter. So, um, yeah, just fantastic. It's, it's been so fun and so interesting to do. And it's um, it's a bit surreal and it feels very weird sitting there and thinking, right, I've got four minutes to talk about why do I pot on, how do I pot on, and you know having two camera guys right next to you and it can be a bit intimidating when you've got two cameras mm-hmm. in your face um to try and really flow and keep the words and make sure you're always looking at the right camera and you know when you finish your piece you're expected to sort of finish it up in a nice way and then be able to jump into the link so the link will be what's going to be shown next on screen so of course you're not really there or seeing that but you'll finish up talking about your piece and then you'll have a written line to say which you've then got to make it sound natural which mm. you know it can be very robotic if you're not careful and yeah no it's it's fantastic fun honestly it's it's so so good i would i'd recommend anybody if they could get into it just to do it because it's it's great <laughs> uh, there's a couple of different tangents i'd like to talk about um I guess I want to talk about how to sound natural and how to read a script and sound natural. I'd like to talk about that shortly. But first of all, I'm just thinking about like myself, you know, like I've always thought, I like, I always love talking about things and I'm very excited by ideas and like discussing the nitty gritty of like horticulture and stuff like that. Even more so than I'm like excited about like doing the work in some respects, like I'm just thinking about someone who is maybe they're just starting their career and they really would like to get into into media but they have no idea how to start or maybe even someone who was like me just 10 years deep into horticulture not really knowing where to go. I think it's easy to be like, oh, that's out of my control because I can't get to exactly where Scott is today. Like, what are some of the small steps that someone can take along their journey to get ready for that big step? I would say saying yes is very powerful because I've pretty much always said yes to every opportunity I've been given. And it's funny how that snowballs ultimately. I mean, some people have asked me where, where, where do you think it went or what was the turning point or was there a key moment or anything like that? Um, and I don't know. I've always been a bit of a believer of what's for you won't go past you. But at the same time, Anytime I've had an opportunity to tr- to go into something new or take a new course or speak to somebody that's in a field that I, I'm i not experienced in, in, in terms of horticulture or whatever, um, that's always been where I go. I just say yes, and I want to know about it, and I want to learn about it. And I've always really tried hard to push myself because I feel like the only way you can move forward and become better is to is to be quite hard on yourself to push yourself forward and to learn and to grow 
Um, things like, you know, I'm doing my master's and nobody makes you do that. You know, I could mm. quite easily not do it, but I'm doing it because I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be better. And, you know, some people maybe don't think that it sounds very good sitting using all your free time at home to sit and study and to learn. And, you know, you'd maybe rather just sit and play video games or whatever. But for me, I've kind of gotten to a stage in my life where, you know, I did all the whole video games thing when I was a teenager. That was how I spent all my free time. And these days uh, I kind of have this constant nag in the back of my head. If I'm not doing something productive or creative, then I feel like I'm not using my time wisely. So this is how I like to spend my free time as I like to study. I like to learn. I like to push myself. I feel like I've been truly bitten by the horticultural bug and horticulture is so vast and wide and there's so much to see and do and learn and know and you'll you'll never know it all but by being open to it and just ready to explore it and to learn um you grow and you know i've always been a big fan of that quote um i'm gonna i'm probably gonna say it wrong now um i think it's hemingway and he said you know nobility comes not from being superior to your fellow man it comes from being superior to your former self Mm. and it's just about if you can grow and be better than who you were yesterday if you do that all the time before you know it you'll be unrecognizable and that's the same with probably yourself dan and certainly that's how i feel 10 10 years ago me versus me now is a very very different person Mm. and i'm hoping that in 10 years from now i'll be again unrecognizably better um and just saying yes to everything and, and to opening yourself up to opportunity. So, you know, a key point I would say was probably LinkedIn, funnily enough, in a weird way. I, I went on LinkedIn and all I did really was just share what I was doing in my job. I took took a few photos throughout the day. Just here I am. This is where I work. This is what I'm doing. And the weird thing was before you knew it, people started liking it and following it and reposting it and... um then before you know it, you, you put out enough content for a while and people start getting interested in it and following it. And then, you know, this guy called Daniel Fuller comes along and says, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And I think, holy moly, I've never had such a cool offer in my life. <laughs> and I say, yeah, I would I would break your hand off for that, Dan. I would love to do that. And then next thing you know, I'm podcasting with you a few times. And then you say, what about we do like a hort skills series? And then I do that. And then um then the next thing you know jim mccall who was a presenter on beach grove he he did the local garden and newspaper slot he retired and the editor said to one of the other people uh who was does a saturday garden and column slot he said hey brian do you know anybody decent who could maybe take over from jim and he said well scott is always online always blethering away always talking garden and maybe he would be good for it so i got offered that and i went yeah yeah damn right yeah absolutely i'll do that Mm -hmm. and then you know there you go next thing you know i'm going from i'm going from just talking about what i'm doing on linkedin to doing podcasts and then doing newspaper articles um and then of course the opportunity for beach grove came along so then you're into television and it's weird how it just all snowballs and just just comes out of nowhere so um be free to 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 share your stuff you know if you're there and you've got something to say then say it, show it, you know, people will listen and don't be embarrassed about it. Just put it out there. And it's amazing just what comes along that you really don't expect. 
And that's the part that I want to talk about. So you said, I just say yes all the time. And that's not quite it. Because I was in a position where I was pushing mowers, leading small teams of two or three people, you know, and I didn't see a path forward for myself. So I was like, there are two paths that I can take. I can become a manager or we'll start my own business, which are really great pathways for the right person. But it wasn't me. I'm not passionate about leadership. I'm just not. And, you know, I was like, well, what is my next thing? Can't someone come and give me a chance? Because I would have said yes if someone had picked me. But no one ever picked me. And I was never in a job where I had beautiful enough gardens that I could take photos of. There are a few, but by and large, I had like customers that just weren't that impressive in terms of like what I could show online. And what really came for me was, yeah, just a lot of nights staying up with my wife talking about what's next. Uh, how can I get ahead in life? Cause she'd already built a business and I helped her build that. She's actually been featured in Vogue. She's a graphic designer and she has a wedding invitation business. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. She's really cool. Like she's killing it. And, you know, I was like, well, what, you know, what's the next step for me? Like, I want something for myself now. And I don't really want to be mowing lawns. It was really important for me to do that for 10 years because it's like, what do they say? Like, iron is forged in the fire. So it's like, you know, I learned so many skills from doing that. But where I started to get momentum was getting that recognition, building my personal brand. And it wasn't about other people giving me the opportunities at the start. It was about calculated decisions in terms of I'm going to start this and people will see it and that will give me opportunities. And it's been consistently at least one episode a week for like two or three years now, coming up to three years before too long. And I have separated myself now. Same thing for me as what it happened for you. So I have my career column in the Hort Journal. I'm a, I'm a national council member for the Australian Institute of Horticulture. These are things that I started to say yes to after I was getting the opportunity, after I started that momentum myself and then it's like now i'm working in horticulture media as well like osbreed are one of the biggest uh australian native plant breeders in the country and they had an open position for someone who could answer emails write articles do videos and i just kept popping up in front of them so they'd have a chat to gabe who's the publisher of the hort journal and it's like have a chat to daniel he's in this space he built a job board if he's not interested in the job at least you can get a um, put a job on his job board yeah 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 whatever and then it's like he sends the job to the australian institute of horticulture and i'm the guy who answered the email and then it's just like i keep popping up in front of him and he's like all right well maybe this is the guy so it's about yes saying yes to everything but it's also about putting yourself in the ring because if you're not in the ring you're not going to get a chance yeah absolutely very well said and for me i think it it sounds like you were in one particular practice of horticulture so like you say you were a mower man you were doing landscaping and things like that and you kind of felt more of an affinity towards what you're doing now um whereas I never really felt that affinity towards horticultural media it wasn't my aim my aim was always just to be a better gardener so you know I started as a seasonal then I became an apprentice then I became a full-time gardener then I became a lone gardener, you know, I, a head gardener on a private estate. And then I went into being a head gardener of two sites at the same time for the National Trust and now into Beech Grove. So it's always been my pedigree. My bread and butter has been 
gardening, heritage gardening, mm -hmm. growing fruit and vegetables, um, looking after some fantastic, amazing gardens, just because that's, that's the opportunity I had and that's the, what was available for me at that time. Um, and the media things just kind of crept in by accident, really. Um, so as well as, I think, like you say, as well as saying yes to opportunity, as well as always putting yourself out there and putting yourself forward so that you're in you're in the public eye so that or maybe not the public eye but you're certainly in you you've got an in and a network anyway so that people like you say keep on hearing your name or keep on seeing you or who's this guy i keep hearing about all the time or this girl or you know mm. um i think as well as that for me if you want to get somewhere and you're not where you want to be i always feel education is a powerful tool which is why i went and did my diploma and when I went and did what I'm doing my master's but it's because I wanted to have that kind of backup to say I can do the academic side as well as the practical side and if you go and push yourself and do a course or get a bit of extra learning or it can be anything whatever tickles your fancy if you're looking at garden design then maybe go see if any local colleges have got or night schools have, have got a garden design course so that you know, when you want to go for that next job, then you could say, well, I, I maybe don't have a bit of experience in it, but I've done this course and I'm passionate about it. And then that's when you maybe get offered a little opportunity, whereas you wouldn't before. If you have absolutely nothing to back up that fact, other than you say, I'm quite into garden design, then it'd be like, okay, great. Whereas if you say, look, I've, I've spent the time, I've spent the money, I've pushed myself, I've went on this six-month gardening course, I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking just to get a bit of experience. You know, that's when you're more likely to be offered things. Um, and I feel the media side of things for me is because people see my experience. And my experiences came from just doing the job that I've been doing. If you know what I mean, I've been offered the media side of things because of my previous experience, um, not because I've been seeking it. So I think that the difference between your path and my path is I feel like you belong to a long line of like tradition, like you're part of that RHS tradition, whereas for me, I think I'm a bit more of an outsider, so I like scrapped to make it. And I actually never felt like called into horticulture. I got into horticulture because I didn't know what else to do in horticulture. At least I enjoyed it. So it's like at least I like being outside. I can listen to the birds and I can actually have a fun time. But I wouldn't say the horticulture was ever my calling. I feel like my calling is like thinking, discussing ideas, and like delving down rabbit holes. Uh, that's very interesting because, yeah, that could be applicable to, I suppose, many different things. But you've carved out that niche where you – are doing what you want to do and it just happens that you've got a bit of a background in horticulture and it probably you must have an interest because you've made this yeah. fantastic podcast and a job board <laughs> all about the field so you know although you're saying it's maybe not your calling to be somebody who rumbles about putting pea sticks in the ground growing old english heritage variety sweet peas you've clearly got a love for horticulture and what you're doing is you found a way to make horticulture work for you, which is very clever. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, horticulture, there's so many different pathways in it. It's more than what a lot of people think. And for me, it wasn't something that fell out of the sky into my lap. It was my love for horticulture came from a decision because I was like, I didn't want to be in sales. That was the job that I had before, just trying to scrap to make a buck. Um, And then I was like in horticulture for a little while in terms of just like maintenance. I was unqualified at this point. And then after a certain point, I decided to double down on it because I was like, well, what else is there? I may as well make myself happy here. So for me, my love of horticulture came from a decision to love horticulture rather than a calling. And I wonder if other people can relate to that as well. Yeah. I mean, I certainly can as well because I, I never picked horticulture either. I, like I say, I've, I've told the story before, but yeah, I went to uni. I didn't like my course. And then when I left my course, the first job I got just accidentally happened to be as a seasonal gardener in a heritage garden. And it wasn't my intention for me. I only took it on because I thought, right, it's a paycheck. My intention was to save up enough money and to go back to university again and maybe try a different course. But I accidentally fell in love with gardening during that job. And part of it was because the head gardener was so fantastic. He was really, he was really funny. He was really passionate. He was really enthusiastic. And he made me see that, um, you know, this is, this is great fun. It's lovely to be outside and, you know, getting your hands dirty, being at one with nature and just that whole thing of being able to go outside and your circadian rhythms sinking with the sun, you slept better at night, all that stuff. That was great. But, for me, the big kicker, the big thing that I thought I really enjoy this is because I get bored easy. I get bored so easily. <laughs> and there's so much variety in horticulture that I don't think I could stand to do a job where you go in and you do the same thing day in, day out. That for me would be hell. Um, mm. I like going in and knowing that each week is different. Each day is different. Uh, and of course, over here in Britain, we've got, we're very strongly led by seasons. So of course we've got mm. spring is very different to summer, which is different to autumn, which is very different to winter. So the garden changes, you know, we've got four big changes throughout the year and then week on week, that's different. And, um, it keeps you on your toes. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to see. Everything changes a lot. And I like that because, you know, it stops me getting bored because I think if I get bored, I get complacent. And that's one of the things that has made me change job and pushed me on is because anytime I'm at a place for long enough and I feel like, right, I've been here, I know what I'm doing, I understand it, I fear complacency and I crave the unknown and I crave the new. So I end up pushing myself on to take the next step, to take the next job. And every time I've taken a new job, I've been scared. Every time Mm -hmm. I've went for a new job, I've thought, can I do that? Am I ready? Am I good enough? But that fear is a great thing. I feel like that fear really makes you try hard and to to succeed. And that's every time I went for a new job, I've always thought that's a little bit above my current grade, but screw it, yeah. let's go. And then I've done it and then <laughs> tried tried real hard. And usually it's it's all went fine. And that's just the way I've always lived within horticulture and like I say, that's that's served me very, very well, personally. Oh, mate, I can so relate with that. I'm in a phase now where I'm extremely uncomfortable, but I love it. I mean, like horticulture <laughs> for me, it's so much more enjoyable than the media thing. Like media is so hard for me, at least in the position where I am now. The podcast is easy. I can just talk about stuff. I love that. It's comfortable. Pruning roses is great. It's like 
tactical, tactile rather, and tactical, I guess. You know, you're you're making <laughs> uh, artistic decisions and you're making um, scientific decisions. Like that is so enjoyable. It's just for me. But the media stuff, it's so hard. And now I want to get to that video stuff because this is the part where I'm at now as I'm making these YouTube videos. I am so uncomfortable. I have so much um, imposter syndrome, all of these things, but I wouldn't have it any other way because if I wasn't doing that, I would still be in the same position in another part. I know I would because uh, <laughs> that's just me. I just keep seeming to put myself in these uncomfortable situations. But the, the the video thing is something that I'm really trying to learn about now. This is where I'm at now because, like, how do you talk to the camera, whether this is for something online, whether someone wants to make TikTok videos, Instagram reels, or long-form YouTube videos, because um, it's, it's probably going to be easier to do that for them than to get onto a BBC program. But what are your tips in terms of, like, talking to the camera and just sounding natural, sounding like you're not reading from a script? Oh, that's that's yeah, great question, and it's it's amazing to hear you saying that that's what stage you're at now, and you're making YouTube videos, and you're feeling uncomfortable and things. Because I I do exactly the same. I mean, although I'm not making so much YouTube videos, and it's it's a television program I'm making, it takes a while to get into the swing of things. Um, and I mean, for me, uh, what I like to do is I like to make sure that I have the topic that I'm going to talk about sort of roughly in my head already as it is. Um, I like to have a starting point because I always find that the hardest thing is to get a starting point. So just having an opening sentence, you know, something to say that just kicks your brain into gear. And, and if you fluff up the piece or you, you want to start again, just having that set opening sentence just to get you going again, that I find that really helps. And, same with a closing sentence, you know, you'll know that when you're ready to wrap up the piece, you just finish with that closing sentence because it's too easy to just keep on rambling on and on and adding a little extra bit to the end. So having a, a fixed opening sentence and a fixed end sentence helps you set up the parameters. And then all you do is you're really taking the person that you're talking to on a journey. You're going from the start of your beginning sentence to the end sentence and the middle of it really should be guided by your knowledge you know and sometimes it takes a bit of practice so for example when i'm doing a piece at beach grove i'll know that i've got four minutes to talk about pruning a deciduous hedge i do get a script from the producer but i never really look at those because i don't like following a script i think they just don't sound natural yeah. at all so what i do is <laughs> yeah to, I, I kind of throw, throw the script out you know. um so I'll have my opening line, I'll have my end line and the director, you know, Claire, she'll come up and she'll say, right, tell me what you're going to say roughly and we'll talk it through and she'll go, okay, right, so let's do that again and then she'll time it, you know, she's got a little stopwatch, she'll time it roughly and then after that she'll go, okay, you were a little bit under or a little bit over so maybe can we cut back on this or add a little bit extra to that. Or, you know, she's quite a good secondary pair of ears because she'll go, I didn't understand that bit. Can you maybe explain that a bit better for somebody who doesn't know that terminology? Um, this kind of thing. So we'll get a we'll get a rough idea of what we're going to say. We'll roughly get the timing down. And then once we're happy with that, we'll go for it for real. So the cameramen have been watching what I've been saying so that they can get an idea of mm. how they're going to film it and how they're going to track it. Um and then 
we go for real. So there's there's always two cameras. One camera is the one that I look at and talk to. The other camera you have to completely ignore because that's all about doing the close-up shots and hand shots and more intricate details, but you don't talk to that one. Um, and then basically, like I say, I'll have my starting point like this is the perfect time of year to be cutting your deciduous hedge and here's why. You know, that's my starting point. And even if I fluff up multiple times, I always go back to that same starting point to begin. And I'll know that the end point, I'll say, should look like this kind of hedge as we've cut it here or something like that, you know. And um, I'll know that I've got to get from A to B and just fill in the gaps in the middle. And I'll know it's almost like taking key points when you're doing a speech you want to talk about. The time of year that the birds are in the tree, uh, in the in the hedge, and you'll want to talk about how hard to cut it. You'll want mm. to talk about blah, blah, blah. You know, it's almost like a tick the box exercise. This is my start. This is my end. This is the points mm. that we need to check off in the middle. It's not like every exact word that you're trying to, to get in there. You're not trying to read it word for word. You're like, it's kind of like you've, it, you're like flying. It's like you've got yeah. a, you've got a jump off point and you've got a land point and everything in between is just you in the air. Yeah, perfect. That's a great analogy. Yeah, it's it's very much you just flow. You'll know where you start, where you end, and you'll know what sort of key points you want to tick along the way. But other than that, you just make it up as you go along. You just get it to flow how you think sounds most natural and how it'll flow. I can't imagine anybody reading a script and sounding natural. I think it would sound awful. So no. <laughs> and that's no, how I've started yeah. just because it must be so nice to have someone there to guide you through the process. Cause for me, yet again, here I am all on my own, figuring it out all for myself. So, mm. you know, I've, I, I've made a few videos cause they cost me money to produce them. I'm, I'm paying for my editors off my own back because it's going to be cheaper than me editing them myself. Shout out to Upwork. And I know that the first 20 videos are not going to be as good as the next few. You know, I'm getting good views compared to what the channel had before, so I'm happy with that. But I know that I have so far to go, and it just must be so – and actually I've started doing what you're talking about in terms of having a start point and an end point and then just trying to flow and hit those key points. But I did start off just reading the script, and, yeah, I did sound robotic. And, yeah, I just had to roll with it because I knew that my first ones weren't going to be perfect and I'm going to have to get a certain amount of hours in front of that camera before I start getting good. Again, in my life, this is what it's all about. you just got to start doing it and, and then you get better. But it must be so nice to have someone there to tell you, try that again, this is where you need to fix it up. Because I don't have that where I'm starting, and I think a lot of people who are listening aren't going to have that if they want to get into horticulture media they're just going to have to start it for themselves yeah absolutely and i suppose that's where investing in a couple of tools like a little mobile phone tripod stand or a big selfie stick or something you know and, and film your piece and record it and do the the really horrible bit of watching yourself back and try to look at it analytically like did I hit the key points? Was there any bits where I stumbled? Was there anything that I maybe didn't explain very well? Um, and try again. You know, it's 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 almost like um, the golden egg for me is doing a one-take wonder. And it's what we all try and strive to do. We love it if we can do our little rehearsals. And then when they say, right, let's go for real. And if you do that whole thing in one take, everyone's like, Fucking well done, man. Sorry. For <laughs> um, you know, everybody's like, whoa, that was immense. And that's why mm. I always try and do. Everybody wants to do that because nobody wants to be there. Right. Take 10. Let's go again. You're like, oh, you know, it's 
it can almost get mm. to you when, when you start to mess up takes you start getting in your own head and then you start sort of falling apart a bit so it's always better to try and get it to go well in the first couple of takes if you can the first couple of runs because it, it I, I actually find it becomes harder the longer you go on the mm-hmm. more you mess it up it becomes worse oh mate so my takes probably look like they're all first takes, but actually they're just carefully selected little five-second snippets of the whole thing. On YouTube, you know, you have that thing called like the jump cut where it's like you have lots of different cuts and you're cutting out lots of things. So I'm lucky in that respect. I think if you did as many cuts as what I have in my videos on BBC, people would just be like, what is going on here? Why are there so many cuts? <laughs> yeah, well... Um we can sometimes do a cut on the show depending on the piece. Um, it very much depends on if you're doing quite an active piece and moving about a lot, it's a lot harder to do a pickup. So if you, if you mess up, it's harder to say, okay, that first half was fine. Just take it from the second half and you know, the editor will, will put it together again properly. Um, if you're doing a static piece where you're standing still, it's a lot easier to do that. But, Quite often, if you're doing a big, long moving about piece and things like that, you kind of have to try and nail it in one go because you can't keep stopping. And, you know, it, it, it becomes very obvious if you keep messing it up and then it's chop, 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 like you say, and mm. cuts all, all threaded together. So, um, yeah, it just takes practice. I mean, it feels very alien, very, very alien at first because when you're standing there, explaining to a video camera whatever it is whether it's a phone whether it's actually you know a cameraman or whether even sometimes when it's just an ordinary person whatever it is it feels weird because it feels like you're not talking like you would like we are just now this feels like a conversation but quite often when you're presenting it doesn't feel so much like a conversation it feels more like a lecture Mm. You know, you say it feels natural, but when I first started the podcast, I remember getting so in my head about it. And in fact, the first about five episodes, I completely re-recorded my own voice because I would get all in my head. It's so hard to actually listen to somebody and think of the next thing to say. Like that's what you have to do as a podcast host. You can't just listen or you can't just think about the next thing to say. So I ended up re-recording myself like, ha, 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 that's a good point. You know, like trying to sound natural. And the only (laughs) thing (laughs) you can imagine, but the only thing that really helped me get through that was a mentality shift of, it wasn't even a shift. It was just, I went into it with this mentality. It was like my mantra. It's just like, it's not about me. It is literally about the the guest and about the listener. So mentally, I just try and remove myself or at least I try and remove my ego or trying to come across as a certain way or something like that. And all I think about is trying to give the listener something of value. And I just like think about like, it's not about trying to sound intelligent. It's not about trying to sound cool. It's about trying to get something of value out of the person who I'm trying to talk to and I almost like put myself in the listener's shoes of like, what's interesting? Like, what are they trying to think about? And I don't think about that consciously anymore. That just That's just like a habit. After 170-odd episodes, you know, you just get into a rhythm with those things. But here I am again with the videos, getting just putting myself through that beginning phase of feeling uncomfortable again. 
And um, yeah, it, it's very uncomfortable. And I, I just think that that is something that I continuously seem to be seeking out in my life. I love the idea of you re-recording five episodes at the beginning and trying to sound natural. I love the idea of you just being like, ah, ha, ha, John, yes, I love your topic on. I love listening to you talk about soil. <laughs> and then saying it with like three different inflections. Like it was yeah. so many different takes of it. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine me just like hating the way I sound. Um, mm. just so in my head about the whole thing. And yet I, I have this little thing in me that's saying, yeah, it's not at the point where it's like 80% good because I don't think 100%. Like I, I'm not even interested in getting to 100%. I'm not on the BBC. I'm trying to get to 80%. As my boy uh, Seth Godin says, just ship it. So he's not saying just push out junk. He's saying get it to the minimum viable product, get it out there, then pivot with, um, you know, pivot and learn as you go along. Because I think for me, if I were to try and get something down perfect, I'd probably end up quitting. I'd probably end up quitting. Whereas for me, it's like get the first one to 80%, improve on it, get the second one to 80% of where I am now, then get the third one to 80% of where I'm standing now. And then each time it's like that 80% looks a little bit different than what it did last time. Yeah. Another thing I find that's a good tip is – whether you're podcasting or recording a video, whatever it is, I almost, I think I want to call it the, the air hostess syndrome. You need to be you on your best day ever, smiling, happy. And, you know, <laughs> on I'm on this podcast right now and I'm probably talking a little bit more happy than I normally would, a little bit of a higher inflection because if I talk normally, so for example, <clears throat> um, yeah, this is just me chatting away normally. This is what I'd normally sound like. You sound like the most dull, boring, dire person ever. And that's the mm. same on camera or on a podcast. You have to kind of almost smile through your teeth like you're an air hostess, pretending that you're <laughs> having a swell day and you can't wait to share everything with everyone. And um, yeah. that takes a bit of practice too. Yeah, I wouldn't claim to be an expert at it, but yeah, you're right. For me, it's not about the smiling because I don't, I feel weird smiling. For me, I go into an energy of like puffing out my chest and standing up tall. So it's like I like push, I push my energy out of myself and I, I like become expressive because yeah, if I'm asking my wife, can you just put the kettle on? It's like, hey babe, would you mind putting the kettle on? Whereas if I was on the podcast, I'd be like, would you put the kettle on? <laughs> you, you do change your voice a little, a little bit. <laughs> but something you did say just a minute ago um, that I find very true as well when you were saying about it's not about you, I agree with that entirely because anytime I do a piece for Beach Grove, I'm basically asking myself, what's the point? Why am I yes. doing it in the first place? And, and I think for? you have to ask, yeah, who for? Who for? Why? And the way that I feel like I'm getting pretty good feedback at the moment from people is because I, I always ask myself that. I always ask, what's the point in the piece? Who is it for? Why do we do it? How do we do it? And just explaining it, breaking it down. So I almost treat it like when I used to have uh, apprentices, I used to have to do that with them all the time. I would take them with me and say, right, today we're going to be pruning an apple. Uh, we're pruning it just now because it's the right time of year, because it's dormant. This is how we do it, right? We prune it to two buds. Why do we do this? Well, that creates the fruit and spurs. 
which will then, you know, it will blossom and then it'll be able to be pollinated and then we'll get apples. And it's it's just going through it. You know, it's the who, what, why, when, how, breaking it mm. down and really asking yourself, would this be interesting if I was the one sat at home and this came on, would I watch that? Would I mm. think that's good? I've learned something from that. That's interesting. That's informative. So it's to be both informative and entertaining really at the same time. It's got to be something that catches your attention that you think, I want to know more about that or I like the way that that is being analyzed or, you know, I, I, I quite like an analogy. I quite like to talk about it in a way that maybe people can understand. And so, for example, I did a back to basic strand. So it's for new beginners, new gardeners. And I did one on how and when to pot up certain plants. And I did one where I said, I've got a plant here that's in a nine centimeter pot. Why can't I just jump straight up to a five liter pot when the plants mature? Mm. It will fill that five liter pot. Why? Why? Why am I wasting my time going yeah. up all these things? And I said, well, it's like a car. You know, you don't jump from first gear to fifth gear because you stole the car. And it's uh-huh. the same with the plant. If I jump <laughs> from a little pot up to a big pot, I'll stall the plant. It's got not got a good enough root system. It will drown. So you have to go bit by bit. And it's sometimes just thinking about these little analogies to compare it to other experiences or other walks of life that people can maybe go, ah, okay, right. I get it. Yeah. I love that. But then what's your analogy when you plant it into the ground then? Uh, oh, come on, Dan, don't ask me a difficult <laughs> question. I've only had one coffee. The analogies, the <laughs> just found the floor. No, because yeah. What? Because legit though, like that actually is a bit of a head scratcher. Not, not to get off the topic of what media, but that actually is like, why is it when a plant, when you're potting up, why can't you go a couple of sizes up in a pot when you can go into the soil? Is it because of the structure of the soil, I guess? It's kind of like an intermediate, it's not like free-draining potting mix. Yeah, I mean, I think it very much depends on the size of the plant and the root system and what you're planting it into in the ground. Yeah, I mean... um, It's got some structure to it. Yeah, you need a sufficient enough root system to begin with before you could even consider putting it in the ground. Mm. But then... Then again, as you say, some plants you can direct sow. So you can put it in as a seed. It'll develop those roots in the ground and start spreading out and developing. And it's quite happy. So, yeah, these are the things. This is the this is what I find interesting is asking yourself these little questions and then mm. maybe researching it and thinking, right, I'll share that with people because probably there's other people wondering that too. And, you know, this is sometimes where you get content. It's just about putting yourself in the in the yeah. It's not about you, and I think that that is a trap for people who want to get into media. And I see this with people all the time: is that they're putting stuff out there because they want the recognition. They're putting it out there because they think that they're worthy somehow. And you're not worthy. You're only worthy of the value that you bring. And so remove your ego out of it. Honestly, searching for people's approval on the internet is a complete fool's errand because it'll never make you happy anyway. It's uh, it, Media is an act of service. Yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest with you. It's real life. People like good-looking people. People like to look up attractive men, women, whatever. They like to see somebody who's pretty. But at the end of the day the content is more important. I would rather watch an ugly person who gives me information that I like and it's interesting and is relevant to me than someone who is looks like a model, but they're offering yeah. me absolutely nothing worthwhile. So Yeah. 
I'm mm, that sort of person as well. I know that the masses tend to go for, um, you know, those Instagram stars with the big butts or whatever or whatever. <laughs> um, for me, that's not what I'm into at all. Like if you watch what I'm into, it's like I'm into like gritty stuff that um, it's like that authenticity thing in terms of like, I don't know. I'm looking for the meat of it because I feel like in my own journey, at least in horticulture, I've gone beyond the just that surface level and I'm really looking for for that next thing that's going to sow that seed in me. And um, the, the pretty looking things are great. Like I love a good variegated leaf. It's fine. But really what I'm looking for is something that's going to be able to withstand with wet and dry feet if we take that, uh, if we take that analogy. Now, don't lie, Dan. I've seen all those videos of you with crop tops and hot <laughs> pants. I've seen you working it on the camera, boy. Um, yeah, but no, if I, you... <laughs> I, I get what you mean. I, I hate Instagram fakeness, those people where they basically pose with a plant, and I'm like, great, what good is that to me? That is useless. Yeah. I want you to talk about that plant. I want you to tell me maybe how to propagate it or what conditions it likes or mm. what's special about it. I don't want a shiny picture of you with a filter on standing next to some expensive house plant that I don't own. That's of no interest to me. Mm. Give me something interesting that I want to know or learn about or a fact that I haven't seen before. That, that'll get me to follow you into like your content. Yeah, and that actually leads me on to something else I wanted to talk about is you get these like TikTok channels like Five Minute Crafts that will like cheat the system. So they'll like pretend to be um, growing a, a, a coriander plant out of whatever, a pumpkin seed or something like that. And you can see what they've done is they've just chopped that leaf down and then done it in reverse so that it looks like it's actually growing if that makes sense. So it's like, yeah, and you can <laughs> yeah. go viral by doing that. Um, and if that's the path you want to go down in horticulture media, all power to you. But you have to think about what are you going to do with your audience too because just having an audience isn't going to bring you money. Like you and I both in our in our um, period on in horticulture media right now, like we get paid for the job. We might get fired if we don't do a good job. But for most of the people who are going to get into horticulture media, and this is for me with the podcast too, is that I don't get paid for my own projects unless I can deliver something. So whether that's people paying for jobs on my job board, employers, hortpeople.com is completely free for job seekers, shout out. Um, or, you know, a sponsor <laughs> paying for a sponsored episode of my podcast. I don't get paid just because I have a podcast. You have to put a little bit more effort into that. Hortpeople.com, where dreams are true. <laughs> <laughs> this is they not do, a sponsored though. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, you said all power to you. I think no opposite. No power to you. If you're on TikTok perpetuating fakeness, bugger off. I'm not interested in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hate all that stuff. Um, no, I think that is also one of the unique selling points of Beach Grove is that we're not afraid to admit when we make mistakes and people really resonate with that because if we say we're here, we're supposedly the professionals, but look at this, this year we've mm. tried to grow broad beans and we've ended up with chocolate spot and the crop has failed. People like that because they go, see, there's none of that. Everything's mm. perfect all the time. I don't, I, I don't like that fakeness where you have to pretend like everything is perfect all the time because it's not. Mm. In gardening, it's very hard. You always have some pest or disease or some weather issue or some blooming thing happen, some 
something that crops up. You've worked so hard and so long. Something comes along, causes an issue. And to me, rather than be embarrassed and try and pretend, oh, everything's always perfect, I'd rather go, look, this has happened. Here's why it's happened. Here's how you can maybe fix it or just let you know, just to be aware of that at your house. If you see this happening, don't panic. Here's what you can do to rectify it. You know, that's it's all part of the game. That's all part of, you know, that's yeah. all part of gardening, isn't it? I love that too. Yeah, that's the authentic nitty-gritty meat and potatoes that I'm kind of talking about as well. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about just I really wanted to ask someone who's sitting at home right now listening to this. Okay, so we've talked about you you need to create something of value. You need to get out there. You need to build your own personal brand, whether that's starting a podcast that's on, you know, we need to be talking about niches too. So you can't just make a gardening podcast. Like I've made um, an industry podcast. There really weren't very many people doing what I'm doing, even though it's such a broad um, podcast where we're going to like forestry and and amenity horticulture and then we'll do like a little bit of agriculture now and then and then businesses and stuff like that like i i really in some ways i probably should have niched down more if i listened to the advice but um i really wanted to create something for a particular person and that person was someone who was working in a green industry job and who wanted to hear about the broad stuff that's going on in the whole industry because i'm not in a solo and i know other people aren't necessarily in a silo either so that that's really my audience member that I'm trying to serve. Um, someone who's coming up now listening to this, what other advice do you have for them? Is it feasible to get on a TV show at the start? Where should they be focusing their energy? Like what's the next step for someone listening to this who's mowing lawns? Maybe they've already done the hard yards of actually learning about horticulture and they're like, okay, what's the next step for me because I don't see a future in, in my current career path and I want to get into media. Very long question. Well, yeah, yeah. Can you make it any shorter? (laughs) (laughs) It's not Um, the BBC, mate. This is a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Driveling on and on. Um, (laughs) No, I would say that basically you have to decide what you want to do. You have to decide where your passion lies. And it comes from knowledge and experience as well. That's a big part of what will help you succeed. As I say, if you don't have enough hands-on experience, that's where education is your friend. You can go and learn more through academic courses or something like that to help back up. You know, it's like the foundation to a wall. You know, it's great having a wall, but if there's no substance to it, it'll collapse. And it's the same with you. Yeah, You can't just go straight on television without having the nitty-gritty experience or at least having done some of the research and got the knowledge to back it up because... If I was to try and free flow and talk about how to cut a hedge for four minutes and I'd never cut a hedge before, you'll just sound like an idiot. I've cut hedges for so many hours of my life that I can offer people that genuine advice because I've done it. And it's the same for you, Dan, where, you know, you, you, you knew what you wanted to do. So that's where you pushed yourself to try and do it and find routes and avenues to do Mm -hmm. it. And that's, that's what, if you're not happy with what you're doing now and you want to change then you have to sit and say, right, how am I going to do that? This is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. What steps do I take to Mm -hmm. get there? And that's what you've got to sit and do. If you are not happy with where you are, that's it. There's not much more to it other than, you know, I'm not going to be one of these people that peddles these self-help books and saying like, well, all your happiness is only six steps away. Yeah. 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 This daily routine. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen to the Inspiration Cube daily. Yeah. Um, Just believe. But no, that's it. See where you are, see where you want to be, and realistically sit down and think, right, how do I get there? How do I do that? Yeah. What steps can I personally do? And it takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes effort. You know, like you say, nobody just gives it to you or offers it to you. I've been lucky that I've been offered things, but I've been offered things because I've already given. I've given out my time and content and shared from my end. And that's when people can see what I've done. And that's when you start getting offers to come on a podcast or write a newspaper column you know nobody you can't just start a linkedin account on day one and just expect to be flooded with offers you have to give to receive really so i hear what you're saying it's like there are levels and then there are doorways so you build yourself a level and then a doorway appears you go through that doorway then you level up again and then another doorway appears and it's kind of like that it's that continuously and it's you know, what they say is it's like uh, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. It's like you can always trace someone's <laughs> yeah. pathway back at the end, but when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like there is a pathway and you've got to put the rudder in your ship. So no one's going to do it for you. At least no one's going to do every step for you. You've actually got to put the rudder in your ship and you can't be a paper boat on the waves unless you want to be. I mean, maybe you just want to be a paper boat on the waves and that's a great life too. Um, that's just not the way I was built. I just, for some reason, I just yearn for more. And maybe when you, maybe if you keep living like that, maybe you still won't be satisfied. Um, so I think in some ways it's also about enjoying the little wins and also just enjoying gardening for gardening's sake as well. Like I, I, don't, I never want to lose that either. No, that's very, very well said. I, I totally agree with that. And don't think there's not been times where I've been a gardener three, four years into my horticultural career, sat in a public garden when it's peeing down with rain, I'm weeding a border going, mm. where's my life going? What am I, what am I <laughs> aiming for? I have no idea. You know, that happens to everyone. Nobody, I don't know anyone that just knows exactly what they want to do, when they want to do it and how to get there. You know, I'm not saying that, but it's almost taking it step at a time. As you say, I, I went from an apprentice and then, you know, I thought, what's my next step? My next step really is to become a full-time gardener. I wasn't mm. sure if I was good enough for that yet, but I, like I said, I pushed myself. I was scared, but I went for it. And then I did that and then found, yeah, this is good. This is comfortable. And I did that for a couple of years and then thought, well, actually I'm bored of this. I feel like I've learned everything I'm going to learn mm. at this place. What's my next step? How do I push myself on? Well, ideally, I would like to be, you know, a lone gardener or take the next step, which is an assistant head gardener or something like that. And that's when I found a job at a private estate where it was very much up to me to run the schedule. And that was a big jump for me because it went mm. from me going in in the morning and being told, right, Scotty, today you're going out, you're going to do X, Y and Z. And then just getting dictated my schedule to I make the schedule. You know, that was such a big leap for me in, in in terms of I had to manage myself I had to look around and decide when things needed done and how to do them and when to do them and I had to be disciplined to get myself outside and doing the job so that it didn't all fall apart um, and then I went from that to running two gardens which was a lot more pressure because then it was budgets it was leadership it was finance it was health and safety it was running 40 people instead of no people and 
you know what I mean? It's just step up, step up, step up, step on, and, and just sort of building yourself up. As you say, it's almost, it's it's like the oldest philosophical story there is to man. It's all about that journey of being someone who knows nothing, who's incompetent, mm. and who takes on their first little step to learn. And it's just about that whole journey of, building up and becoming a better person, learning more, becoming skilled, becoming competent to eventually becoming somebody who's seen as a bit of an expert and who really knows their field and who people turn to for guidance or for leadership and knowledge. And it's that whole journey of life, no matter what field you're in, it doesn't matter whether that is horticulture or whether you're in IT or whether you're in, I don't know, oil and gas or whatever. It really doesn't matter where you go. Everybody starts off, as somebody who knows nothing and ultimately I suppose everybody really wants to end up as an expert in their field or, you know, seen as a, a, a valuable person, a, a top player, you know, um, you're trying so hard not to call your own journey, a hero's journey, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The hero's journey. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a regular William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> That's for other people to say. Who am I to call myself a hero? Well, yeah, as long as, long as you don't call me a Mel Gibson, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, it was, it was, so for me, I have my own, I have my own person's journey it, where it was like, and you know, you got the little man by the side of the road every now and then. Someone along that side of the road is going to be that wise person who's going to give you some pointers. And if if you are like if you you just got to know when those people are there and when the people are really just full of absolute bull, because some people who you think are the little wise man on the side of the road, they're not the little wise man on the side of the road. They're going to lead you astray. You've got to um, take that feedback on from the world when the world gives you feedback. Like for me, yeah, it, it, I've ha- I have to give my hat off because that there have been some people who've given me chances, and that at the same time though, I've been putting myself in the ring to get those chances. So like, there's a reason why I kept getting promoted to team leader no matter where I went, is it's because the bar was quite low in a lot of ways, and and a lot of people just didn't want to reach for it, and then I reached for it, and then when I got there, I realized what's the next thing. And it's like, okay, so after 10 years, and and by the way, my journey as well was a lot about just really trying to enjoy where I was instead of trying to reach for these lofty dreams that I that I knew that I wanted to get to because um, I knew I wasn't ready. Like who who's going to give me a shot when I'm just when I'm just here? And then so, you know, learn your craft, stick to it, keep learning, and then know when to take that jump to the next step. Yeah, exactly. It's it's tactical. It's it's knowing, believing in yourself, and knowing in yourself when you are ready and when to push. Mm. And maybe sometimes it's just as much about knowing your strengths as your weaknesses, and trying to focus on getting your weaknesses to be better, and and you know not mm. holding you back so much, and things like that. And I was just thinking, it just sounded sounded like a bit like you had a trip once or something. Where you're finding these little men at the side of the road. <laughs> that's the hero's <laughs> journey. For anyone who wants to learn about the hero's journey, that's one of the steps along the way. Is the mm-hmm. little wise? So that's Yoda when Luke Skywalker finds Yoda, and everyone has a Yoda in their life. I, I like to think, even if it, even if they're not little and green and wise. Like for example, Karen Smith would be one of my little green men on the side of the road. Just my mentor, yeah, I'm not you know. Sure. She just yeah. 
<laughs> she, she probably wouldn't like for me to say that. But <laughs> no, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> but Karen, no, but you know, like she she would say it. stuff like go to the industry association places, and it's like, oh, do I have to? Well, she said to, and then it's just like, then you put yourself in that arena, and then it's like suddenly you get invited onto the national council because I'm always there and people are always seeing me and then I get a chance to tell them about my podcast. And then it's just like this year now I'm winning an award for the podcast and it's like it, you, you – some people do have that good advice and you need to listen to them. Was that a not-so-subtle way of just saying you've won an award there? Dan? Yeah, I'm an award-winning podcaster and an award-winning <laughs> horticulturist. No, but, I, you know, I don't want to brag, but I also want to say like, okay, so – at least well, I kind of know what I'm talking about with some stuff, not everything, but, but I, I've, I've put myself in the arena enough times. And so have you that, you know, if you, if you're sitting at home listening to this or you're in the work, you listening to this and you have goals of getting into horticulture media, I'm, I've been on a couple of steps. You put, you might be further along than me and you, and you're listening to this and you say, yeah, that's beginner stuff. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that it's just like, it's just uh, another pathway, and Scott, you and I both walked at least some of the steps, so at least we know a little bit of what we're talking about. Yeah, that'll be on your LinkedIn next, surely, award-winning content creator. Yeah, well, I have to. That's part of the job, isn't it? That Like, we're in media now, and that, mm-hmm. like, this is something I've struggled with as well. Like, Ricky Gervais said, um, you know, Americans get brought up believing that they can be the president. And then you can see that reflected in the culture. And then, but in Australia and the UK, we were go- brought up saying you're nothing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, you mm. can't achieve anything. And and it's like in a way, like we have that tall poppy syndrome. And I still really hold that close to me. And it feels very uncomfortable for me to talk about my own achievements. And that probably comes across. Um, but there's a balance there. And I'm not doing a very good job of it right now. No, I I would say similar, you know, fundamentally, I genuinely am a modest person. I I don't like boasting, I don't like bragging, and I especially don't like other people that do it. So it's finding that really fine line of how to promote yourself and how to say, well, this is what I'm doing. This is maybe an award of one, but not saying it in a braggy or sort of horrible, cocky manner, which other Mm. people will go, ugh, you know. Because like yeah. you say, we're not American. In, in America, if you win an award, I'd be like, woo, yeah, go down, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in Britain or Australia, if I says I won an award, you'd be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we say like, oh, I won an award, <laughs> but it ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth anything, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. g- good advice to everyone listening. If you win an award and you've put it on like a social media thing, tell us what the award is because I hate nothing more than going on and seeing someone's profile saying, award winning whatever and you're like well what was the award because it might mean nothing <laughs> you know i you know i could technically put award winning head gardener because i came third in the three-legged race at a school sports day once <laughs> you know that was an award but you have to tell me what the award is to make sure it's actually worth something <laughs> so, but um, then you know in that bio you don't have time to put that in there yeah you, like, do, you don't Dad. have space come on, come on. well no. so aih um, award of Excellence winner. There's just too many words. Award-winning horticulturist. Well, I guess it's not that many more words. Put, put that in and take out some other rubbish like 
Yeah, Hort people. Who, who cares about Hort people? Get rid of the Hort people thing, right? And just put in the uh, <laughs> Again, shout out. Free, you can put your resume up there for free and have employers seek you for a change. Yeah, I do really like your site. It is, honestly, I'm not just saying it to plug it because I'm speaking to you. I think it's such a refreshing, fantastic idea that you can pop your CV on and have people come to you um rather than the other way around it's it's great and especially because there's such a huge range on there of different categories and Mm. different employers and i just can't help but feel it's it's like just one little thing away from just being so massive yeah yeah and you know employers also have like notifications set up so if they see uh, they will actually see a job, uh, a resume come through that says horticulturist on it. So give it a crack, hortpeople.com, completely free. It's only in Australia now. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll be global. But, mate, at the end of every episode, I always like to ask guests one final question. This can be about absolutely anything in the world. You can tell us about the cool skateboard trick you learnt on the weekend. What else would you like the listeners to know about? How did you know about me practising my roast beef? <laughs> Are we going to talk uh, about roast beef now? That's a skateboard trick, isn't it? Meat and potatoes. Oh, is it? Oh, well, it's been a while since I played Tony Hawk, but I never quite cut it as a skateboarder, I'll tell you that. That was one of those things where I, um, as a kid, I wanted to be a skateboarder, but I didn't put in the work, and then that haunted me until I became an adult, and I think that that it's like I saw that in myself, that I wanted to get to the top without putting in the work, and that was something that working just in – in doing, I say mowing lawns, but there was more to it than that. But just the day-to-dayness of the mundane work was very good for me because it's like that—that, that, um, yeah, that that there's a grounding in that, and it actually—it's like the wax on, wax off stuff. But anyway, we're talking about what I wanted to talk about. What do you want to talk about, Scott? I was going to say, sorry, just to add on to your point. Yeah, it, it's it's character building. You have to be able to do the day in, the day out, the grind. You know, it's all part of learning, and um, I always find when you when you are doing a monotonous day in day out job, it, it gives you time to think and plan and sort of dream. You know, um, mm-hmm. you don't get time to do that when you're super busy. So, what would I like to talk about? I have no idea, Dan. Um, I'm hoping roast beef is a skateboard move. I think it is, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I remember it from uh, Tony Hawk. I'm sure. Yeah, I was no good as a skater either. I loved the idea of being a super cool skater, but I yeah. basically discovered anything under my feet, I am atrocious. So I cannot skateboard, <laughs> I cannot rollerblade. I really can't ice skate. It just doesn't work for me. I don't think I could ski or snowboard either. I am oh, come unhappy. off it. The skiers and snowboarders will tell you the same thing that we're trying to tell the listeners right now is that they didn't find it easy at the start either. You know, I've heard that about singing. I know a couple of people that, that teach singing they say anybody can sing it's just a matter of Mm. practice there's no such thing as someone who cannot sing it just takes Mm. time and practice but um but i'm not really fussed up if i I can sing. yeah yeah you've got to pick your battles like you can't be an expert at everything (laughs) yeah that's it i'm gonna start singing sections on beach grove yes (laughs) this is how take the whole show Um, uh, no, I don't think of anything else really to add specifically, Dan. I think we've had a good old natter today and covered a lot of things and set the world to rights and yeah. cast out a lot of knowledge like we're some sort of 90-year-old Greek theologians and 
This is how you succeed, kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. You know yeah. what that is? That's the tall poppy syndrome again. We can never feel like we can really like if we brag about something, we feel like we have to tear ourselves down. Like, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful part of our culture. And um, also I've found myself bragging more on LinkedIn lately and I really hate myself for it, but people like it and it's good for my career. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, they say, you know, I can't remember which one it is. If it's, I think it's maybe, I think it's Jungian psychology or something like that. They say one of the most important things in there is, is the jester or the joker. Mm. And that is someone needs to be able to make fun of themselves. If you take yourself too seriously, you will not succeed in life. You have to be able to make fun of yourself, to make light of yourself, and to realize that you do screw up, you do make mistakes. So what? Mistakes are what makes you better. You learn from your mistakes, you pick yourself up, you try again, and you will develop so much better. You know, I've learned far more from my mistakes than I have from my successes, and it's by making mistakes and even trying in the first place that you really grow. I mean, do not ever be afraid to try. If you don't try, you just never, ever know, do you? So if Dan had never decided, why not? Let's give this thing a go. He wouldn't be sitting here 170 podcasts later, chatting away to some Scottish guy that nobody knows and, you know, talking about the hero's journey. Yeah, that's right. I call myself a hero. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, so maybe you are, you're that person, like you say, in in Australian sitting in the ute in the ute and uh, you one in the ute yeah we call it a four ute. by four over here we call it that too there are there are yeah. four by four utes and then there are four by fours and then there's utes or four bees oh, yeah. we call them four bees too gee you're blowing my mind <laughs> <laughs> i thought that a, a ute was just a four by four um, no, a ute is uh, a utility vehicle that has a tray on the back so it might be front wheel drive back wheel drive or four wheel drive Ah, I see. But basically to put your tools in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a workman's yeah, vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a van. That's it. You're maybe sitting there thinking, I want to change or I want to do something different. But yeah, try. If you do not try, you will not succeed. And if you try and fail, at least you tried. Yeah. And you only have a certain amount of years left in your life and you can never get that time back. The clock is, is that where you're going off. with that? and on that note (laughs) thank you for your time scott on that note before we waste any more of your life (laughs) we will all go (laughs) yeah Yeah, but the clock's ticking if you don't try or if you do try or um yeah strive and enjoy it's the things you don't do you regret (laughs) (laughs) all right mate get out of here thank you Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. It was uh, great fun to be back. No two people's Hort Media career will be the same. If you'd like to get into the sector of the industry, pick up a camera, a microphone or a keyboard and create useful, entertaining or educational content on one or more of the social media platforms. It'll probably take quite a while to build your following and hone your craft, but with time you'll find your own style. Connect with Scott and I on LinkedIn and say good day, and put your resume up on hortpeople.com in the meantime. There's a job category for Hort Media, so if you've got a half-decent portfolio of social media posts, you never know, you might even find one of those rare Hort Media jobs that you didn't have to build for yourself. <laughs>